Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. All right, Gamecock fans, it's Friday before a game, October 9th, 2020. As this year rolls on, on forward <laughs> toward the end, hopefully. Yeah, I was reading the other day, and I think I mentioned this, that, you know, people think some magical thing is going to happen January 1st, and everything's going back to normal when we get to 2021. That's probably not going to happen, but I do think it's a nice symbolic goal for all of us to try to reach the end of this year. Um in terms of uh, just everything that's happened and uh, in society and all that, and maybe start anew. Uh, hopefully uh, New Year's Eve is full of refreshing um, renewal in our country and, and not uh, chaos <laughs> like we've been seeing. Um, and, you know, so just wanted to tell you guys, we, we only have, you know, two first of the months left in 2020. Uh, as we chuck forward and try to kind of get through this all, all th- through all this together. So hope you're doing your family are doing well. Uh, it's been a tough week in Gamecock land. I understand that, um, you know, the negativity has been unbelievable. I think this is as, as negative as it's been in the entire Muschamp era. And rightfully so, you know, you think about it. Um, and the struggles and the losses and, and all that, that that's going to happen. Um, you know, last night, and I, I don't want to get in, I have kind of mixed feelings about it. Um, you know, on the call-in show, there, there was a guy, Jason from Surfside, that called in, you know, had a nice little wisecrack at Muschamp about, well, you guys should wear ski masks because you're stealing money. Um, you know, was it a clever call? Yes. Would I have done it? No. Do I think the call-in shows garbage and they probably need to not take calls anymore? Probably so. And uh, that's no offense to those of you that emailed in that said you call it sometimes or your wife or your mom calls in. Um, I just think it's a, it's a bad deal. And, and, you know, at the same time, though, I could flip that around. And, and again, I, I have scenario-based analysis as an, an opinion. I could see another scenario where, well, they, they take such a beating on social media anyway that probably a call like that doesn't phase them. But uh, anyway, you know, so that's that that's kind of a sign when your fans start calling the call-in show and openly complaining and, and having jokes at your expense and all that. Well, Muschamp, first-class guy, he's going to be able to handle that pretty well. But, um, you know, that's just kind of a a microcosm of where things stand. And one of my jobs, my big job, really, is to kind of keep a finger on the pulse of the fan base, not just those on thebigspur.com, because that's not 100% of the fan base, but also, you know, the folks that uh, – or on Facebook and other social media channels. You know, I think that's a pretty good portion uh, of the fan base. There's some that aren't on social media, but, uh, you know, you can kind of get your finger on the pulse. We have, gosh, probably 200,000, I think, uh, fans on our Facebook page. And I go through and read all the comments. I don't respond to them because some of them are just way out the left field. Um, and I delete those that are like, in trying to incite violence against coaches and things like that. And it's amazing because Facebook, unlike, unlike Twitter where, 
you know, you can have a handle and remain somewhat anonymous. Most people on Facebook use their real names. Um, and it's amazing. You know, you got your pictures of, of your wife and your kids uh, on your Facebook and your family and you, Christmas time. And, you know, you got a picture of Jesus uh, on your, you know, Facebook wallpaper there. And you're talking about praying for people and stuff. And then, you know, when it comes to Gamecock football, though, man, you just let it rip. <laughs> There's no holds barred. You know, people need to be fired, you know, booted out of the state of South Carolina. I mean, it gets tough. Um, and it's, it's, it's negative. It's toxic right now. And, and look, it's not the fans' fault that that's the way it is. I mean, you know, I, I think some things are over the top, and I think – in some cases, you know, people are searching for reasons and some of those reasons end up being misguided. And in some cases, I've just seen people straight up make things up about players, you know, that just aren't true, you know. But I, I can appreciate the fact everybody's kind of like racking their brain for a solution. And when you start 0-2 and when you went 4-8 and the year before, that is going to happen. You know, I, I, I said in the preseason, the best thing – to get this program back on the on track is to win the first two games, you know? Um, and, and I didn't anticipate, I anticipated they'd probably win one of them and it was Tennessee, but they didn't. And they're 0-2 and they're going to Vanderbilt tomorrow to try to get a win. And I don't know that this win necessarily, uh, if they get it tomorrow, I don't want to think about what happens if they lose. We will address that though. If that happens, um, if they win tomorrow, you know, it's going to kind of calm some people down. Uh, but then you got Auburn coming to town. Auburn, uh, if you haven't checked out the post on the bigspur.com or on Twitter, Jordan Rogers, who played at Vanderbilt, who's done some work for the SEC Network. He's actually worked with Mike Morgan sometimes, my co-host on the JC and Morgan podcast. Had a great breakdown about what's going wrong with their offense. And it's it's a it's a Chad Morris thing. <laughs> Uh, almost more than anything, plus they don't have an offensive line. Auburn's got its own issues, you know, and I'm sure their fans are upset and mad about what happened with Georgia. I think that Georgia defense is going to make a lot of offenses look bad this year, but um, I I think it's deeper than that, you know, and they have a game against the Razorbacks where Chad Morris came from this weekend, the Chad Morris Bowl, if you will. And and that's another one that's kind of like better not lose if you're Carolina, better not lose if you're Auburn. So in two weeks at Williams-Brice, that's going to be a really interesting matchup, you know, provided the Gamecocks bounce back and win. You know, I I think that's uh, the big key. First things first up at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt comes in at 0-2. During the preseason, you know, they had a lot of issues. I don't know what it is about Nashville sports teams um, because their mayor in Nashville, and I have a lot of friends there, obviously, sort of locked them down, you know, worse than – any place else in the state of Tennessee. And, um, you know, their, their soccer, professional soccer team, when they started back in the summer, had to withdraw from a tournament because of positive tests. You have all that stuff going on with the Titans. Um, in the preseason, Vandy had a lot of issues with it and uh, had some opt-outs. Um, you know, so I, I just looked at Vanderbilt. I was like, they, they weren't expected to be great to begin with. And then they have all these personnel issues. And then, lo and behold – Again, a game my friend Mike Morgan called for ET, for SEC Network. They go to A&M, who's a preseason top 10, and uh, 
17 to 12, you know, very close football game. Um, I don't know if that says more about Vandy being better than we thought or more about A&M struggling uh, because the next week both teams got tattooed by LSU and Alabama respectively. But, um, you know, that was a surprise. And, and that's one of those things, one of those Vandy games that over the years you kind of have, have gone accustomed to where they'll just come up and play a great game and everybody's like, oh, and then sometimes they win those, you know. But they did lose, and then last week LSU took them to the woodshed, forty-one-seven. Um, Tigers fixed some leaks in their defense, <laughs> uh, so to speak, uh, in that one. So that, that's what that's what kind of gives you hope that the Gamecocks can go up there and fix some leaks in their defense. Uh, it's a get-well game. Uh, like I said yesterday, this is not one of your better Vanderbilt teams. This is a Vanderbilt team that. I expect to struggle the whole year, and if they win a conference game, I'd be surprised. Let's just hope it's not against the Gamecocks. Because last year, you know, they were they were trucking towards zero and uh, eight in the league, and then lo and behold, Missouri comes in. Vanderbilt plays the game of its life and pulls the upset. And so, you know, I mean, <laughs> you you learn over the years not to really underestimate them. Uh, and I hate even saying that I, I don't think they're very good, but I, I just don't. I don't think they're very good at all. Um, heading into the game, statistical matchup. Vanderbilt comes in with the 56th ranked rush defense in the country. Uh, I'm sorry, rushing offense in the country. 72nd pass offense in the country. 54th in rush defense, 45th in pass defense. A lot of that's because of that A&M game. They're 75th in total offense, 53 in total D. So, you know, if you, if you want to look at, like, one side of the ball that's had a good game, it is the Vanderbilt defense against Texas A&M and College Station. You know, the, the offense has struggled to score in both contests. Um, you know, so you hope they don't really get it together. Again, Todd Fitch is the offensive coordinator up there. Everybody knows him from South Carolina, the Holtz era. Um, good coach, you know, so is Ted Roof, their defensive coordinator. Now, Ted Roof was the defensive coordinator at App State last year, came into Carolina and uh, really caused the Gamecocks some problems uh, with his scheme, you know, and I, I don't think Carolina ever adjusted. They kept running the same play over and over, and uh, App was ready for it. Uh, but this is a different South Carolina defense offensive scheme uh, that we're going to see you know, on Saturday compared to last year, different quarterback, different players, really. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see what Ted Roof can dial up uh, for the Commodores uh, in Nashville. So that's kind of a look at Vandy stat-wise. You know, Carolina 69th in the country in rushing offense, 38th in passing offense, 58th in total offense so far. Uh, and that's just yardage. You know, that's not anything else. Uh, defense, the rush D is 22nd in the country. Pass defense is 46th. Um, so they got the number 28 total defense right now. If you look at the stats, which surprised me when, when I can't, went in there and kind of looked at it, I was like, you know, you, you wouldn't think this was a top 30 total defense yardage wise. Now, part of that is because the offense has been really good at playing defense. If that makes sense, staying on the field, you guys remember, when Chad Morris was at Clemson and, you know, they were playing Carolina and losing every year. You remember Steve Spurrier's plan all the time was to be, because you know, Clemson went so fast, 
to, to be very deliberate. They did that against a lot of faster teams. Uh, you know, Carolina's offense was worked at a more deliberate pace. It was effective. You know, you have Connor Shaw running for first downs. You know, they would keep the other guys off the field. And that was a recipe for success. You know, now Vandy's not a, you know, tempo offense or anything. But, uh, you know, last week, Florida, you know, I thought that was a, a recipe for success. Now, again, you can question the last seven minutes. We've talked that to death. But I thought the deliberate approach was the right way to go, you know, just to kind of keep Florida's offense off the field. And I think anybody that's going to beat Florida this year is probably going to have to do that. And I'm curious to see A&M, uh, if they take a real – Jimbo takes a real deliberate approach um, against the Gators this weekend to try to keep Trask and Pitts and Tony and all those guys off the field. Um, you know, this weekend, you know, Carolina, I think obviously there's a weather situation – it's probably going to be wet. You know, I think that kind of helps Carolina in terms of the run game. You know, you got a back like Kevin Harris, you know, he, he hopefully he can hold on to the ball. Cause I mean, you know, somebody will probably fumble Saturday on some team. Um, you know, you could just pound people with him. That's no fun in the rain. Uh, you know, and also Fenwick uh, and also, you know, when it's raining, when you have an offense like Carolina's, you got a quarterback like Colin Hill and, and an offensive coordinator like Mike Bobo that where they're, they're dialing it up, you know, every down, you know, it's about the play calling. It's about execution. It's about getting the guy open using formations and leverage, you know, Carolina's guys know where they're going. Vandy's guys don't, and you got a shy Smith, you know, you could match him up, get him open two or three guys fall down you know, shies in the end zone. Uh, so I, I think that actually could help the offense. On the flip side, the same is true with Vandy's offense. And what you don't want to have happen is, you know, you have a couple of things like that where guys fall down defensively and they get a couple of unexpected scores and then you're sputtering and, it, you know, it's just a like a quagmire slugfest. And, you know, they end up winning the game. You know, that that's Vandy's recipe for success is that it ends up being a, a sloppy game, a couple of guys fall down, some freak things happen, the ball bounces their way, and they end up winning, you know, a 14 to 10-ish kind of ball game. You know, that was kind of the, the plan at AM was to win a, a close, low-scoring game, and I'm sure that's the plan against South Carolina. So Carolina, you know, I think one of the keys for them, get points on the board, uh, be efficient, you know. If, if you think about it, Carolina scored on their first drive the first two games of the season. That would be helpful Saturday, you know, put it in the end zone. I think Carolina has been much better in the red zone this year than they were last year offensively. And so that's a positive, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's something that will help them uh, in this very important game uh, tomorrow at noon offense, you know, two guys I have kind of, you know, caught the hot seat, the spotlight, Nick Muse and Xavier Leggett, and, and that's if Leggett's healthy, that, that that he's in the spotlight. Leggett needs to catch the ball. You know, this guy's got speed, he's got size. Um, you know, I, I understand that. You know, last year they probably didn't coach him up as much as they should have. Get him on the jugs machine after practice or whatever. Um, he's still sort of learning and feeling his way, but he's got a lot of ability athletically. You know, so he's got to catch the football. You know, and then he's got to turn it on when he catches it and be the athlete that he is. And he's capable. I mean, the guy was a great high school football player, 
uh, I think that uh, that could translate, you know, am I predicting greatness? No, I never predict greatness for any player unless it's like obvious, but uh, I do think he could be better catching the ball. And then Nick Muse, you know, Nick is a guy that again, he's capable. Now he's had, he had some drops early last year and then he cleaned that up and then he got hurt. You know, I, I think this guy, it, it can be a big part of the offense uh, he's just got to catch the ball more consistently. And when the play's there, he's got to go make it. Um, and that's all there is to it. You know, it, it's time for those two guys to catch the ball, <laughs> you know. And and that may be easier said than done with a wet football Saturday and all that, but th- those guys need to do it. If not, and, and, you know, you got two more players out there that, you know, I, I think I would like to see, you know, them come on because I think that they're capable. And this is just my opinion, Rico Powers and Kevion Mullins. Mullins got his first career catch last week. You know, he's a guy that can be a matchup problem in the passing game. He's going back to his home state of Tennessee. So what a better time for him to break out. And then Rico Powers uh, came in for Leggett last week and, and showed some good things, you know, for a true freshman. There, there's no nothing in the rule book that says a true freshman can't step up and be a really solid number two receiver. You know, there's nothing that says that. So, you know, those are kind of the guys, the, the step-up guys, spotlight guys uh, that I have for the offense. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, R.J. Roderick returns to the – let's call it the hot spot. How about that, the hot spot? Because it's, I don't want to say spotlight because that's that's too positive. I don't want to say hot seat because that's too negative. Let's call it the hot spot. So the hot spot guys on defense, uh, Damani Staley uh, at, at Will linebacker. You know, Damani probably is more of a Mike, but has played Will. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say he's like struggled tremendously, but he struggled a little bit, and I think. You know, teams are kind of catching on that, that, you know, he's not, you know, it's not like having Jamar Brown out there or even Sherrod Green or, you know, a Mokaba athletically right now. I mean, Damani works his butt off and does a great job and obviously he's the son of a legend. Uh, but, you know, is he meant, you know, to be the number one Will linebacker? I don't know. You know, I, I don't I don't know about that. You know, hopefully – Hopefully, you know, use a spurrierism. Hopefully. Uh, and then RJ Roderick returns to the hot spot. <laughs> Remember the hot spot? There used to be a convenience store, right? I guess the one, the most infamous one, me growing up, was in Greer, in Greer, right near going toward Riverside High School. The hot spot. You know, it was like orange and, you know, it was like Dante's Inferno for a convenience store. Um, so yeah, RJ Roderick's back there. And so so who who were the guys that, you know, could step in, you know, to the hot spot, you know, take or take their place or help alleviate the hotness. Um, you know, Mo Kaba, I think, as as a true freshman, and it's tough because if you're having us we all saw what assignment issues will do uh to hurt a defense against Tennessee, you know, with the with the flea flicker when, you know, Brad Johnson is actually playing the Sam on the other side you know, blitzed instead of taking the flat, which he was supposed to do. Uh, and Garantano has a wide open guy and then what should have been a sack or a turnover or something bad happening to Tennessee ended up being something very good. So, 
you know, I'm not advocating for him to play if he's not ready. I just think athletically, you know, if, if, and, and I say all this saying, if Jamar Brown is not ready to roll, um, you know, maybe he's a guy you stick out there. And of course I, I've been advocating all week. Jalen Dickerson probably needs to start over RJ Roderick. Um, just because I think Dickerson brings you a little something else in coverage. Uh, and quite frankly, surprisingly enough, uh, the guy that's been hurt the whole time at Carolina is a better tackler than R.J. Roderick, who has been relatively healthy. Uh, and I don't think R.J.'s a bad tackler. I just think he's a guy that wants to light you up and, and go for the big hit. And sometimes go, guys like that lose their fundamentals. You know, D.J. Swearinger was a guy like that, too. Uh, but he never lost his fundamentals. You know, Stephon Gilmore was a big hitter. Andre G- Goodman and – Sheldon Brown would knock you into next Tuesday. So would Jonathan Joseph. But they those guys had great fundamentals. You know, Rashad Faison. I'm thinking back to the the big hitters over the years. Antonio Allen was a great tackler. Um, you know, J.C. Horn is a great tackler. You know, I, I think R.J. likes the you know he he sticks his face in the fan and likes it as people say. But he's just not a good fundamental tackler right now. And J- Jalen Dickerson, surprisingly enough, who also sticks his face in the fan and likes it, is. Um, and that's just based on the sample size I've seen. I'm not at practice, okay? Um, and, and I don't really, through my contacts, get a whole ton of defensive back feedback. You know, I kind of know a little bit, but there's other positions I'm, you know, more well-versed in. But, you know, that would just be my 10,000-foot well, let's not say 10, but a 3,000 foot um, opinion on that. Um, you know, because the, the, but those are the guys in the hot spot this week. Nick Mew, Xavier Leggett on offense, Damani Staley, RJ Roderick on D. Those guys have to step up. Um, and it may not, you know, if they don't, it may not kill Carolina this week. Maybe it does, though. Because again, you blow assignments, you can't cover, the other team picks up on it. You know, they're going to start picking on you, and that could be bad. Um, and then I'll give you a special teams guy too, Kai Kroger. Uh, we said it before, you know, wet field this weekend. That that could get interesting. Uh, he's just a true freshman, guys. You know, just like Parker White, who is now a really good kicker who struggled mightily in 2017. You know, Kai Kroger uh, or Kruger, I think it's Kroger. He's going to be a good punter. You know, Joseph Charlton wasn't Joseph Charlton right away. Um, but, you know, when you kind of – when you go get scholarship kickers like the Gamecocks did and Mitch Jeter, you bring them there to start. Uh, and, look, there was really no better punter in the country they could have gone and gotten than Kai Kroger from Lake Forest, Illinois. You know, 6'4", lefty, you know, that 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 will eventually cause problems for people. Um, but right now, there's no secret he's not punting well. And, and that hurts, especially when you're trying to play, you know, somewhat of a field position game. And Carolina absolutely – has to win the field position battle on Saturday. You can't give Vandy a short field. That offense, they don't go very far, you know. So put put Kai Kroger in the hot spot uh, for this week as a special teams representative. So goodness gracious. So kickoff again, noon, uh, SEC Network, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I wish I was uh, heading up to Nashville right now. This is a road game that before the pandemic I had circled. Now, it wasn't supposed to be until Halloween. So we're playing it about three weeks earlier. But 
it's always a good time to visit Nashville. I, I do have a trip scheduled there here in the next couple of weeks, but it's uh, always a good time to visit pandemic or not. Um, but they're, they're not letting fans in the stands. So that, that's another kind of weird thing is that, you know, Carolina had what, 18,000 or so Florida had 17, 18,000. There's going to be no fans. So that, that's going to be kind of like a, a scrimmage at Williams Bryce uh, kind of atmosphere. Plus it's going to be raining. So that, that's uh, it, it's going to be the most depressing moment in Carolina football history or one of them. If the Gamecocks lose this game in that setting, I mean, the word sad comes to mind, you know, no fans, Vanderbilt pouring down rain. Don't lose. Better not lose. Better not lose that one. I don't think they will. I mean, I, I, I'd be, I'd be surprised in all kinds of bad ways. But you know what? I've been surprised in bad ways before, and I, I could be surprised in bad ways again. But I, I honestly don't think the Gamecocks should lose this game at all. Um, again, if it were a, one of the better Vanderbilt teams I've seen over the years, you know, the, the one the 2017 team they had that was really good on offense. They just stunk on defense. 2016, I, you know, I know Carolina won the game. Vandy ended up going, you know, getting to 500 and playing a lot better against a lot better teams uh, and uh, going to a bowl game that year. You know, maybe maybe they were better in those years. You know, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, and I know they struggle with Carolina because – Carolina's got the longest winning streak against Vanderbilt uh, in the SEC East. But, you know, this is not – I mean, you know, the Jay Cutler – this is James Franklin is not walking through that door. How about that? <laughs> you know, it, it's just not it, – it's, it's, a, it's a rebuild year or a reload year or whatever you want to say because Mason's been there a while <laughs> um, for the Vanderbilt Commodore. So there's no reason, you know, in year five – for Muschamp and the game cost to go drop that game. Um, all right, so got to get to the mailbag now. And how you get to the mailbag is you go to Twitter and you tweet at us at the Big Spur Pod, or you go um, and email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Um, Lee, thank you. And Lee tweeted at us and I said, listen to at the Big Spur Pod, and uh, I appreciate uh, the kind words about laying out all the pull the rug out from under the fans' moments in Muschamp's tenure, and that's true. And that, that's not a shot at Muschamp. That's just the facts. People want to know why people are mad. That's why people are mad. Um, that and just losses piling up, you know, because when you when you have, when you when it's when you're not like a universally embraced hire like Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. Gamecock fans were going to give those guys, you know, time. And 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 Lou Holtz went 0-11 and, and nobody wanted him fired, you know. But when, when you're not a very popular hire to begin with, okay, and, and it's unfortunate because I think if Will Muschamp had arrived at 0-0, zero and zero, like as the coach in waiting at Texas, Ray Tanner would have been universally praised for that hire. You know, oh, he took South Carolina. He was going to get the Texas job. He took South Carolina, and, and you know, and I think the first two years, you know, people people have been going, but, but you know, he had the albatross of the Florida situation hanging around his hanging around his neck. So you have to know that you know people aren't stupid. 
they they see that and they're going to count that no matter what. It's a division rival. Um, and so, you know, when you have that moment against Kentucky in 2017, and that was the first one, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta kick the door in, you know, <laughs> you gotta go win the game. You can't have what happened and stuff, but, um, I'm not going to get it rehash that over and over again, but Lee, uh, thanks for the, uh, the tweet there. And thanks for the kind words. I appreciate you listening. Please spread the word. Um, Michael says at the Big Spur Pod, what do we need position-wise to win again? In my mind, obviously wide receiver and tight end, but the secondary has been a major disappointment. The problem with the secondary right now, and I agree, they need wide receivers, and they've got to get some tight ends in that kind of fit Bobo's system. They got guys that sort of fit what BMAC did. BMAC kept um, – I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but in Roper's year in 2016, you know, Carolina was not that deep at receiver. You had Debo, who finally got healthy, Brian Edwards, a true freshman, and then Chavis Dawkins was really the third guy, another true freshman. And then they played Casey Crosby a lot in the slot and also with, and, you know, combined it with Hayden Hurst, the, the, uh, the, the sniffer and the attached. I mean, there, there's a lot of terms for it. I don't <laughs> – I'm not one of these guys that sits there and, and memorizes football terms and tries to repeat them to pretend like I'm this guru of the game because I'm, I'm just not. I am who I am. Um, there are people out there that do that. But they call it the sniffer, the the the, the tight end that's kind of in the slot. You know, Muschamp, I think, with the guy that's attached to the line of scrimmage, he calls it the C area. Um, there's all kinds of different things. You can call it an H-back, you know, whatever. Uh, they use Casey Crosby in that way. And so BMAC kept that part of the Roper system when he put his system together. And so you go out and you go, well, Kendarius Tony uh, is a guy that can do that. Um, you know, you, you look at Trey Kenyon is a guy that can do that, uh, you know, and you got guys like that. You know, and, and even even though, you know, I, I, you know, Jaheim Bell, who's obviously recovering from an injury right now, who's really good, he's a guy that can do that. And they started recruiting him under BMAC. And I, I don't think that given the playmaker situation that Bobo is going to turn him down. Um, but you, you don't have a lot of attached guys. And if you think back to Georgia and you think back to Colorado State, you know, they do use guys that split out. But they also need – Guys like, you know, they used to have at Georgia. You remember those guys at Georgia? You know, there was a run there. Georgia had elite tight end play. Um, big guys, you know, that could go up and down the field uh, and also block. And, and you need that in this system. And so that that's kind of what they're doing at tight end, trying to go find those guys. Uh, obviously, Michael Trigg uh, is an elite player, and uh, I think he announces in two days. So, We'll see if the Gamecocks get him. Uh, the Gamecocks feel very confident about Trigg. Uh, but obviously, there's a lot of smoke around Southern Cal. So, we'll kind of see what happens <laughs> with Trigg. Hopefully, they get him. Um, and then the Nesbitt kid, Bryson, who's Jamar Nesbitt's son, uh, announced his top five. North Carolina, UCLA, South Carolina, Virginia Tech, Ole Miss. That's not in any order or anything. Honestly, I think that kid could end up going to UCLA uh, at the end of the day, which, you know, look, you, you hope that you get your legacy players, but you're not entitled to it. It's a free country. Uh, and if the kid wants to go, 
he could go. I still think the Gamecocks at the end of the day, and that's for Mike Morgan because he hates that phrase. Um, at the end of the day, you know, do you want to go all the way to Los Angeles? You want to stay close to home? I don't know. So that's Bryce and Nesbitt top five today. He announced, um, and, uh, all that also, uh, before I get to the, you know, next question here, uh, Derek Mason announced they're putting green, excuse me, green ribbons on their helmets, stickers, uh, for Helensky's hope. That's a very classy move by a very classy coach in Derek Mason. And I, I, you know, I've said a lot about Derek Mason over the years, probably. And I'm not really a guy. I'm always kind of a find a way guy. If it's a coach, you know, well, here's why he's coaching at that level. And here's how he can make it work and all that. But, but next to Dave Dorn, I've been at least impressed with Derek Mason, you know, because I lived in Nashville at the time he got the job and he came in and, James Franklin left him a lot of players, you know, and he changed their system. Uh, they changed the James Franklin offense to more of a, a pro style running. You know, it was almost like when Muschamp went to Florida and he went 0-8 in the, in the SEC and I predicted them to go 0-8 in the SEC and Vanderbilt fans, you know, all 12 of them were like, you're a homer. and blah, blah, blah. Sure enough, they went 0-8 in the SEC that year. So, but – I will say that's none of that's personal. You know, Daring Mason, by all accounts, is a good human being. And certainly this is an example of that. Uh, you know, he's talking about mental health and, and all that good stuff. So certainly uh, that's 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 a great move, you know. And it's good to see that Holinsky's hope is still alive. Uh, not that it would not have been, but, you know, that's the whole thing. Hope is alive. And uh, I, I think that's outstanding. But anyway, so, you know, tight end and wide receiver to, to answer, to wrap a bow on your question, Michael, I got sidetracked here because I was looking at my Twitter notes. Um, yeah, wide receiver needs to get better. And, and whether that's, you know, guys on campus or recruits or transfers or whoever, um, you know, and, and then I mentioned the tight ends and why they're kind of in that situation. It's more of a change of, you know, philosophy and use and, and, and more of needing a certain type of tight end than, than an actual tight end. And, and then, you know, quite frankly, you've had you know, Trey Kenyon was a four-star recruit. Uh, he's not old, you know, yet he's not, you know, and, and he was on tape coming out of high school, how you draw him up. He's just not been very good. And you know, he's had trouble putting on the good weight, you know, he, he's just, he's struggled, you know, um, and you know, sometimes that happens with, with the guys that, you know, you look, we all look and go, they're no brainers, you know, they get there and then they're not very good. Kadarius Tony's more of an H back build, you know, Kevion Mullins, et cetera. So that, that's the deal on tight ends. And, uh, I, I think that they're actually getting, you know, they're working towards getting better there. Um, and I think they will. All right. Again, the inbox, the Big Spur Pod inbox, the the inside the Gamecocks inbox, if you will. Noah emails in. Noah is a frequent emailer. He says, JC, fantastic work. Keep it up. With the struggles of the receivers and their drops, I don't understand why the coaching staff doesn't send Luke Doty into the game. At least try something different. Would you try playing Doty, and why are the coaches not doing this? Well, you know, this is is one of those subjects that just kind of – 
you never get really a straight answer on it. I, I think the staff loves Luke Doty, okay? And they love him as a quarterback. And quarterback's the most important position on the field. And, you know, they played him at receiver some in the preseason. And then they they bounce him back and forth. You know, I I tend to believe that this has more to do with maybe them evaluating the quarterback situation. Uh, and I'm not saying he's past Ryan Holinsky or anything. Uh, and 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 steering him towards reps there because of COVID and because you have a starting quarterback that you know has had let's face it three ACLs you know uh, not that Colin Hill hadn't taken a beating and kept on ticking this year so far but you know you, you start to kind of ponder what kind of position you'll be in if if the ifs uh, and you go well you know let, let's work in more at receiver. Um, what I didn't understand was Will Muschamp's answer that he's working at Shy Smith's position. They move Shy Smith all over the field. Um, and I think that may just be, you know, you know how Muschamp runs cover sometimes, uh, you know, and, and they talked him up in the preseason and now he's not playing and the receivers are dropping passes and all that. And he did, Muschamp did say after Tennessee, he's going to get his opportunity, you know. So I haven't put my finger on exactly why he's not playing a whole lot. Um, I think maybe last week, you know, you have the game plan or whatever, and then Leggett gets hurt. So you go with Powers, who's been working at Leggett's position, and that makes sense. But, you know, uh, yeah, they don't play but two receivers at a time either. I mean, this is not – and when they do go wider, he, you know, he gets in, Joyner gets in, whatever. So I think um, – yeah, I, you know, it, it, it is surprising to me Maybe Luke Doty's not catching the ball either at practice. You know, uh, he had good hands in high school at Myrtle Beach when he, when he called it, and I know he's got speed and athleticism, but maybe he's not catching it either. That's speculation on my part. Would I try playing Doty? Heck yeah, I would. I'm of the Steve Spurrier uh, uh, coaching philosophy is if somebody's not getting it done, play somebody else. You know, don't keep your guys out there. Even if in practice the other guy's not as good, you just – if you're not getting it done in the game, give somebody else a chance. Uh, because guys get it – you don't know in the games. Guys will get it and perform, and you're like, wow. You know, and all kinds of – even the best coaches in the country do that. You know, give somebody else a chance. Now, sometimes people struggle with that. You know, Nick Saban struggled with that. I mean, I, I watched – I was at the national championship game uh, in 2000, 2017 national championship game, it was in 2018. I'm sitting there watching, and, and they're getting shut out by Georgia, and Jalen Hurts is going nowhere. Um, and I, I've always been a Hurts guy. You know, I, I thought he kind of got a bad, you know, bad deal because, you know, he, he lost the Clemson game and the national championship game, and especially from Gamecock fans. But what people don't realize is, that kid was a true freshman and led Bama down for a go-ahead touchdown late in that football game. And then Clemson and Watson came back and won. Um, but he was struggling. You know, they they had him bottled up and, and all that. And so Saban pulls the trigger and goes with Tua. And it took him that long. <laughs> and from what I was told, you know, in practice or whatever, they, they you know, Tua was – 
about midseason ready to roll. Um, and so sometimes coaches, you know, they're a little stubborn with it, and they, but they'll put a guy in, and then all of a sudden he's playing good. And, and, and like you know, that that's why I like the the Spurrier approach there is that you know put somebody else in, and, and somebody else would go in, and then you know sometimes that guy would would win the job, sometimes that guy would not. Um, but but good things sometimes happen when you put your guys in and say go you know put you in the pool and let you swim. Um, you know, Steve Spurrier, when he went to Kentucky in 2008, the last thing he wanted to do was play Steven Garcia at quarterback that day. But the last, last thing he wanted to do was lose to Kentucky. So he puts Garcia in, he gives the team a boost. Uh, they come back and win, you know, and then Garcia starts for three games. And then, you know, they went back to, you know, they sort of rotated. Then it got to be messy because started rotating guys. <laughs> but you know, I, I'm I'm a believer in that just based on you know what I've seen uh, on all levels of football over the years. You know, sometimes you got to play the next guy um, if everybody's struggling. And Luke Doty is kind of the next guy. You know that that's the one receiver that was you know, on the depth chart or whatever, the top six or seven that hasn't played. You know, Joyner didn't play a whole lot against Florida, but Joyner played 50 snaps against Tennessee. Um, Powers has gotten in. You know, we've seen, um, you know, obviously Xavier Leggett. We've we've seen Josh Van. Um, you know, Doty, you know, is the one guy we've, we've only seen a couple of plays. So maybe this is his week. Maybe this is his week. I, I know it's a – it's a question that everybody's asking that not a lot of people have answers for, um, including, it seems, the coaching staff in a public manner. So we'll see kind of how it goes. Again, my guess is is that quarterback is what's kind of curved the enthusiasm on receiver with this. Mark says, what are your thoughts on the scheme we play on defense? I kind of miss the days of the four two five, and sometimes we feel like we're fitting a square peg in a round hole. We recruit a lot of tweeners on the D-line instead of recruiting specifically to the D-and-D tackle. Well, yes and no. I mean, I don't I, – I, I do think that there are guys on the interior that you could – depending on the front, you could play it in, like Kier Thomas and, you know, sometimes Jabari Ellis as well. But, you know, Enigbare is, 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 is an end. You know, Jordan Birch is definitely an end. Um, you know, uh, I think, you know, Rick Sanders is definitely a tackle. Zach Pickens is definitely a tackle, even though he's an in coming out. Um, you know, I, I also think that it, 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 Carolina fans have this, you know, idea of six, six, two seventy or two sixty defensive ends you know, kind of growing on trees are that those guys are the best defensive ends. You know, that's the, that, the, you know, if you're six, six, well, cause I've seen it in recruiting, people get really excited about somebody that's, you know, six, six, two thirty coming out. And, and that's just not true. If you kind of look around, I mean, Jadevi and Clowney was great. Devin Taylor was very, very good, but you know, Melvin Ingram and Eric Norwood were really good too. So I think it's more of a, you know, can you play or not? I mean, you look up at Clemson. Uh, yeah, you had the prototypical guy in Cleveland Farrell, but before him, you had Shaq Lawson, who was like six three two seventy. 
You know, it, 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 I, you know, Xavier Thomas was a player that, you know, and, and I you know, hope Xavier gets better and, and all that, but, you know, he was one of the top better defensive linemen in the country. You know, he's 6'1", 280. 6'2", 280. Um, so so I, th- I think that sometimes it, 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 it you know, we, we get this idea in our head because that was, you know, that was when things were good. Uh, and you're like, well, go, go, go recruit these basketball players and, you know, stick them out there and everything's fine. Um, I do agree that on the interior right now, they're, they're playing some guys that probably are tweeners. Um, but I'll also say this, you know, when you talk about recruiting, you know, they did recruit Josh Belk, they did recruit Jaquez Sorrells, and they did recruit Jakeem Green, and all those guys – are definitely locked defensive tackles. It's just, you know, two of them couldn't get in school for whatever reason. Um, and that, you know, that's on the coach. You know, you, you got to get guys that can get in. And then Josh Bell, and I don't think this is on the coaching staff. Josh Bell had some issues and decided he was, uh, he was going to roll on and not play football anymore. So, uh, you know, they're missing those guys, you know, now at the same time, uh, if they did have terrible issues on the D line, they don't have the 22nd ranked rush defense in the country after playing Tennessee and Florida. They just don't, you know, and, and I don't know that Florida's running game is like a juggernaut, but I do know Dan Mullen r- tries to be balanced and run the ball. I mean, they're, they're more pass heavy than they were, but it wasn't a situation where they just didn't, you know, what an air raid kind of deal. You know, LSU probably, I think, probably has the number one rush defense in the country because in a loss, they only gave up nine rushing yards. But, you know, I, I, I kind of – I'm with you. I, I, I would like to see Pickens, Sandy, Jenick, Barre, and Birch as the starting four on the D-line. I would love that. Uh, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, with how they do it, it's it's worked to a certain extent so far. I mean, I think the issue is in the secondary. Um, now your second point, Mark, our secondary is forced to think way too much versus playing and reacting. I tend to agree there. Um, Muschamp talks a lot about how they put a lot on their safeties. And, and I think that, you know, if you, if you talk, if you kind of look at, you know, how this system has been run, they, they, uh, at different schools too, you know, that's true. And I, I think that, you know, complexity is good if you can make it work, but, you know, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And in and, and the four, two, five, I, I don't, I wouldn't call it the four, two, five. I just call it the Ellis Johnson defense. Cause there's South Carolina right now runs a four, two, five, a lot. You know, you've got, you know, a lot of nickel where, where and that's called this nickel five defensive backs, you know, thus the five. <laughs> uh, so they play a lot of nickel. So I, I would call it the Ellis Johnson defense. And then, the Ellis Johnson defense, you know, they, they had elite talent on on the perimeter, you know, at corner, at defensive end, at safety, at the spur position. You know, Carolina was always elite. Now, up the middle, you know, they just had some solid guys, you know, at linebacker and defensive tackle. But it's just, you know, it's easy to revert back to, like, what worked in the past to say, you know, ah, this isn't working. Let's go back to back to those days. Everybody, everybody wants to go back to that because they people were winning. 
our Gamecocks were winning. So I get it. I, I, you know, the more we move forward with it and the more you see some struggles uh, in the secondary, the more it's like, well, you know, you've got some guys now. This is their third year in the system, like Horn and McQuamu and, and Roderick and those guys. And if they're still busting and making mistakes, maybe it is time to simplify. And 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 I, I think the, the flip side of this is the guys end up learning a lot. And, you know, here's why Keyshawn Nixon is playing for the Las Vegas Raiders and Rashad Fenton's playing for the Chiefs and Chris Lamont's is stuck around. And uh, I don't think anybody thought those guys were going to play a lot of NFL football. Uh, is that those guys, when they go to the league, they know what the heck they're doing. Um, but, you know, again, I've said this before, it's not an NFL player preparation camp. It's a SEC football program. People want to win. And so there may be something to say about that. I, I don't know. I, I think I tend to think, you know, there is some truth there, but the, the, the answer is probably a happy medium somewhere in between. Spencer, yes, again, my man. Thanks for all the responses. Next time you're around Columbia, holler, I'll buy you a beer. Absolutely, Spencer. Um, his question is, you think T-Rob is in danger if the defense doesn't seem to improve this year? I feel like the scheme must be too exotic because the comp of the constant defensive breakdowns in the back seven or so. I don't think T-Rob's going anywhere unless Muschamp does. And that's, you know, just – they're kind of joined at the hip because um, I think if you really, you know, if you have a defensive head coach like Will Muschamp, who's been a successful coordinator a lot, uh, and, you know, he's got his guy as the coordinator, I think if T-Rob's not a guy that can get it done no matter what, you know, as far as – no matter what it is, whether it's not simplifying, making it too complex, not teaching it. And I, I think T Rob's a heck of a heck of a defensive back coach and he can call secondary and you know, his guys love playing for him. I mean, I, I don't I don't have a whole lot bad to say about him because I, I kind of lump those two together when the defense struggles. Um and, and if you're must champ and you're not stepping in to help him, you know, that's on you. You know, I mean, if, if you've you've had all these issues on offense. Um, and the defense has, you know, had some bad, bad moments. Don't get me wrong, especially because of injuries and things like that. But, you know, that's on the head coach to step in and fix, you know. So I, I, I don't I don't think sacrificing T-Rob uh, is something that will work. You know, I think if he's, in, if he's in danger and the defense doesn't improve this year, I don't think Carolina's going to win enough games to where – you can justify bringing anybody back. I mean, not anybody on the staff, but, you know, I, I think you got to, I think you got to make a change, you know, now, because, because I don't see as much as I like what Carolina's done on offense, they're, they're not going to be able to go, you know, if the defense is playing like Swiss cheese, um, they're not going to go up and down the field and get in a shootout. So, uh, that's the deal. But no, I, I think that, you know, if T-Rob goes, Muschamp's going because it's, it's, you, you got to fix it. If it, and, I, and I don't, I don't think T-Rob's the issue. I think there's something to be said about the scheme, maybe being complex. And and, and if you look at, at kind of what the, you know, the, the facts around the situation, 
including the fact that there's a, there's three DBs in the league right now that you sort of were wondering, you know, if they'd even get drafted and one, only one of them did and they've stuck and the NFL loves those guys. And, and they always talk about how smart they are and how they pick up the scheme quickly. It's because they've been in the Will Muschamp, Travis Robinson training camp, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, and so it helps in that regard, you know, it, it helps if, you know, when you go to take the, the bar exam, if in law school you're doing nothing but practicing for the bar exam and not learning anything else, but you know, uh, it gets easy when you get up there, but you know, how does that impact what you're actually supposed to be doing in law school? You know, I don't know that that's the best analogy in the world. Oh, well. All right. So I appreciate uh, the question Spence and I'll take you up on that next time in Columbia. All right. This is the final word with JC Sherbert uh, for the Vanderbilt game. I'm going to say this. I'm going to predict the Gamecocks to win 35 to seven. That may be a little optimistic, but I picked them to lose last week, 38, 20. Uh, I was off on the Tennessee game. I thought Carolina would win 21-17, I think it was. Still a four-point game. Uh, but I'm going to say 35-7. I think Carolina gets up, gets up big. People, Hopefully everybody gets to play. You know, we may see Ryan Holinsky, Luke Doty, a quarterback. Uh, and, and Carolina, in a quagmire, grinds uh you know kind of like that game two years ago where they won 37 14 uh where they just went out and just basically punched vandy in the mouth i think that's what's probably going to happen tomorrow um if i'm wrong i'm wrong i don't want to hear what kind of an idiot i am (laughs) uh and if they lose and again there's a scenario where they could then uh i definitely believe that there's there's more to talk about than just hey can they beat auburn next week because you know that that at that point you, you sort of hit rock bottom but let's all hope for the best that carolina does not hit rock bottom tomorrow uh again 35 7 is my pick uh gamecocks kickoff at noon in nashville tomorrow against vandy this has been inside the gamecocks it's been a great week been a tr- trying week and a testing week but still great to bring you Gamecock Talk every single day. We will talk with you guys next week, and have a great weekend.